Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Today we're going to continue in our study in John, but before I do, I just want to give you a little disclaimer. This message is going to be highly offensive, and you're not going to like it any more than I do. But I also would like to say that I don't believe everything you believe, and I don't expect you to believe everything that I believe. However, none of us are perfectly aligned with Scripture. Or if we were, we could stop studying it. So strap in, turn to John chapter 3, and get ready to wrestle with a highly offensive teaching of Christ. This message is entitled, Free Wouldn't. Do you believe that God allows evil to exist in the world because He's given us free will to do as we please? Perhaps you've heard the argument that God is either all-loving or He is all-powerful. He cannot be both. With an argument like that, many well-meaning Christians have tried to take the heat off the Lord by saying, God doesn't want evil to exist in the world, but he's given us free will to do as we please, so we we have to live with it. You may have even heard this argument this way. God doesn't want a bunch of robots, so he's given us free will to decide whether or not we want to be with him. And, you know, the good thing about this argument is that it takes the blame and it puts it where it belongs on us. But the bad thing about this argument is that it suggests something heretical. Our definition of free will is that we can do what we want when we want. And specifically in terms of salvation, free will means that we decide when we're ready to come to the Lord and although he could force us to surrender to him, he won't. Now I think it would be foolish to suggest that we don't have any control over our ordinary decisions every, every single day. Like We get to choose whether we're going to have chicken or whether we're going to have beef for lunch. But we must also see what we're saying in our spiritual decision making. If we believe that we have equal authority over whether or not we can acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, then we're living in a fantasy. Or more specifically, that we believe that we're standing above God when it comes to our decision-making regarding where we're going to spend eternity. All of Scripture points to a specific truth. There is one God, and we aren't Him. Furthermore, there is none like Him. So although we have been created in His image, we don't have the authority to decide our own fate. And I know that makes us uncomfortable. But as one of my friends loves to point out, the term free will is not mentioned anywhere in Scripture. It's, it's a concept we have invented to explain away a major question we have with God. Why do you let evil exist in the world? Because if God let evil exist in the world, wouldn't that suggest that he's, he isn't all good? Or he is not all powerful? But that he is in fact evil? You know, recently I had someone say to me, God didn't want Adam and Eve to taste the forbidden fruit. But he had given them free will, so he really couldn't stop them. Think about that statement for just a second. God created the Garden of Eden, and it was perfect. And every tree produced good fruit. Unless, of course, you want to count the the, the two special trees. God put the tree of life, and he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil also in the garden. And then God commands them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he warns them that if you do this, you're going to die. So basically, he says, hey, you guys know the rules. You know also that I'm going to walk away right now. And oh, hey, by the way, I've thrown a serpent in here um, for you to play with. So I'll see you later. Why would God create such a tree and then put it with arm's reach of mankind? If God had foreknowledge, why did he walk away? Why in the world would he have created a serpent, which you know he knew was going to deceive Eve, 
and begin this whole cycle of sin entering the world. I mean, did God not really know what was going to happen? And in our free will definition, we would say God had to walk away or God didn't know. But in reality, it's because God chose to walk away. God chose to create a perfect world. God chose to orchestrate the events that would break the world so that he could choose to be the one to save it. So if you leave with anything today, I hope it's to understand that if we truly had free will over where we would spend eternity, we free wouldn't turn to the Lord. The reason why is because until we are enabled to call upon Jesus, we are dominated by the sinful nature. This is exactly what Paul said in Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. It doesn't mix the flesh and the Spirit. So what I want to show you today is that the concept of free will, it does exist in the Bible, just not the way that we want it to. And if we don't have the freedom to come to God when we choose... It's not really free will. I wanted to spend today, I just want to pour over John chapter 3. And I want to look at verses 1 through 10. So to pick up right where we left off last week and go to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to read that now. This is what it says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from, and you do not know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I want to just ask that you would anoint me to carry your message and not mine. I pray, God, that as we dig into this passage today, that you would show us what it is that is true And that you would help us to shed everything that is not true, as uncomfortable as it might make us feel. And you just might show us, God, that that you are sovereign and you are in control. And that, God, we surrender to you and not the other way around. I pray, God, that you just just bless us through this message and that um, then we can see your great love for us. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, before we really dive into chapter 3, I want to spend uh, just a little bit of time talking about the last two verses of of chapter 2. Because remember, when the Bible was originally written, when this letter was written by John, it didn't have chapter markers, it didn't have verse markers. Those were added in later on so that, that things would be easier to find in Scripture. 
So uh, if we're not careful, then we're going to interrupt the thought that John is having at the end of John chapter 2. This is what he says in verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, he himself knew what was in man. And so what you see in uh, this last part, verse 25, is John uses this word anthropos. To, uh, it's the same word used for man. And in John chapter 3, he uses this same word for man. And I think what he's doing here is he's saying basically this. Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to man because he knew what was in the heart of man. For example, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So John is showing us a case study of what was in the heart of man and even all that man is capable of achieving on his own. So what I hope you see from this passage is, is that it's possible to be heavily religious and not be born again. Some special things I would like you to note about Nicodemus. First of all, Scripture tells us that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, and I believe this was in reference to him being a part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the main ruling body of the Jews of Israel during the Greco-Roman period. So it was like the Jewish Supreme Court. In New Testament times, the Sanhedrin was composed of a high priest, um, who we know from Scripture was a man named Annas. Uh, He would have kind of like a vice president who served under him. He would also have chief priests, there would be elders, and there would be scribes for a total of 71 people. Why 71? Well, because Moses was ordered by God to to declare 70 uh, additional rulers to help him judge. So 70 plus 1 is 71. So these 71 people were made up of both Pharisees and Sadducees. It was a political and religious powerhouse that made all the decisions for the Jews, and it was the final say on what the law was. Now we get an example of how the Supreme Court, the Jewish Supreme Court of the Sanhedrin worked um, in that it condemned Jesus at night. Now something special to note about that is that uh, the Sanhedrin would never meet at night and it would not meet on holidays, it would not meet on the Sabbath, but every other day it would meet. So they really went against their guidelines and their regulations when they wanted to get rid of Jesus. So that's something that's interesting. But also note that it says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Now, there are several trains of thought as to why Nicodemus would come to Jesus at night, and probably one of the most popular um, uh, theories is that Nicodemus didn't come to Jesus at night because he didn't want anyone to know he was associating with Jesus. And according to this train of thought, he recognized that Jesus did incredible things, but he did not want to know, he didn't want people to associate him as a disciple of Jesus, at least not at this point. However, I have a, a Wallerism that I, I, I'd like to use regarding why Nicodemus would come to Jesus at night, and you can take it or leave it. I think the Sanhedrin sent Nicodemus to Jesus to try to recruit him because the Sanhedrin wanted to be seen as the accrediting agency for all who taught the law. And here comes Jesus, a guy essentially out of nowhere who starts to do miracles and teach with authority. And I think the Sanhedrin sent Nicodemus to recruit Jesus so that they could stay in power. Now, just pay special attention to what Nicodemus says to Jesus. Rabbi or teacher, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. So what Nicodemus said here is going to condemn the Pharisees a little later on when they accuse Jesus of being able to do these miracles because he's from the devil. Because he said, we know that you have to be from God. Now, notice, though, that Nicodemus seems to have... um, seems to have uh, an agenda when he comes to Jesus. 
you get the impression that, that, that Nicodemus and his colleagues had discussed Jesus at great lengths, and here comes Jesus or Nicodemus to talk to Jesus, and, and it seems like he's not speaking on just behalf of himself, but behalf of the entire Sanhedrin, which is why I think they sent him. Um, and, and John said that Jesus wouldn't fully entrust himself to man because he knows what's in the heart of man. So this could be a perfect case study of what he's talking about. Here comes Nicodemus at, to Jesus at night, either out of fear of his colleagues or because they sent him. But regardless, he seems to have a scripted, practiced conversation that he tries to initiate with Jesus. He says, you know, Rabbi, we know that you um, must have come to God, come from God because you're able to do these incredible things. And in comes Jesus, and it's like Jesus completely cuts Nicodemus' feet out from underneath him, and he just, he just, just stops his agenda mid-sentence. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, the Greek word for truly is where we get the word amen, um, and it means essentially trustworthy or, or truth. So Jesus uses this word, amen, and it seems to, to like I said, interrupt Nicodemus' thought, but what he's saying is, is like, hey, listen, what I'm about to say to you is trustworthy, so pay attention. And then he adds special emphasis to what he's going to say because he says truly twice. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, pay attention like you've never paid attention before. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now what this tells us is that Jesus was basically saying, Nicodemus, you're not born again. And Nicodemus was a man who had dedicated his life to the religious and political career of teaching people how to be in the right standing with God. But Jesus was saying, you're not in the right standing with God. Jesus tells Nicodemus that although you've given your life in service to God and to become heavily religious, you're still not good enough. Which just confirms what Jesus says in Matthew 5.20. He says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's not, even they are not good enough. The term Jesus uses for, for born again literally means born from above. And Jesus, for some reason, answers a question that Nicodemus doesn't even ask because he evaluates the heart of this man, he recognizes his agenda, and he confesses that although this man is religious, that he's still not good enough. A man must have a spiritual birth if he's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So Nicodemus' confession that Jesus is from God that's just a clear indicator of what happens in a lot of churches today. It is possible to be heavily religious and even recognize that Jesus is not only from God, but that he's working in others and still not see Jesus working in you. You see, in churches today, we love to substitute religious morality for faith. And instead of encountering Jesus, we just learn to behave in church. And we teach others to behave, to be like us. But keep in mind, if it's true for Nicodemus, it's true for us. It's possible to be heavily religious, to spend your entire life in church and still not be born again. Jesus shows us that all who are born again are born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying, and he's so curious as to what he meant, he stops this scripted conversation and he probes further. He says, what do you mean born again? 
Must, must, must I enter my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus answered again, truly, truly. In other words, what I'm saying is extremely important, so pay attention. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, many people take this as an illusion as, as uh, that a person must be baptized to enter heaven. But we know this simply isn't true because of what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man didn't come to faith until he was being executed next to Jesus. And this man never had an opportunity to be baptized. So Jesus is not talking about baptism. He's either talking about the first birth as being born of water, like when you're born from your mother, or he's talking about a figurative cleansing that's suggested in Ezekiel 36, which is essentially repentance. Being cleansed of your sins through repentance. Jesus, um, Jesus can tell that this astonished Nicodemus because he says, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. But also try to understand where Nicodemus was coming from. I mean, just, just try to look at this from his perspective. This was a man who thought he was in good standing with God. There was no higher office for a Jew to hold than to be a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was reserved for only married men who were the heads of prominent families in Jerusalem. Men who were not only uh, important people, but they were full of righteousness and had good reputations. These were the elites, elite of Israel. And so they were set up to be judges over all of Israel. For if they weren't righteous enough, who could be? These, these were God's people. And this was the elite of the elite. And here comes Jesus, a man who hangs out with prostitutes and tax collectors, a nobody from nowhere who's able to do incredible things, but yet he tells the elite's elite that he wasn't good enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. He tells them that in order for this to happen, you still lack one thing. You must be born again. You, like Nicodemus, would be amazed too. You would not just be amazed, you would be offended. Almost as offended as you likely were when I first talk, started talking about this, this idea of free will. But not quite as offended as you're about to be when you read what Jesus says in verse 8. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from, and you do not know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, just to, just to spend some extra time on this, I, I want to break this verse down to see that we can understand what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes. Now, the wind is the same the Greek, same Greek word for, for spirit. So, the spirit comes and goes as he pleases. He blows where it wishes. So, he says, we hear the sound of the spirit, which means that we are given perceivable events of the invisible spirit working. When, when we see the wind blowing, for example, we don't see the wind, we just see the effects of the wind. For example, when the wind blows, we see tree branches sway and we see leaves blow across the yard. But we don't see the spirit himself. We don't see the wind itself. So we hear the sound of the spirit, but Jesus continues, but we don't know where it comes from. Now this is important because we don't know how the spirit works. The Lord works in mysterious ways. That's absolutely true. But the Spirit didn't start moving because we wanted Him to. We don't know where He comes from. 
And Jesus says, you don't know where it's going. You, know, you, might not, you, you might not recognize that it is the Spirit working, but you can hear the sound of it. You can see this, the effects of the Spirit. You can't see the Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Spirit. And you don't know His origin. You don't summon Him. And, and likewise, you don't determine His destination. The Spirit has free will. He goes where He wants, when He wants. And he concluded in this verse, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Uh, if you were to do a, a Greek translation, it's kind of broken English, but essentially what it says is, so this is how it works. This is how it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, this is the way everyone who is born of the Spirit comes into being. We don't cause people to be born again any more than we can make the wind blow. To be more specific, the will of being born again isn't ours. It's up to the Spirit of God. And just to ensure that I haven't accidentally lost someone, let me try to explain this principle that Jesus is sharing with us regarding the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that free will exists in the Bible. It is the free will of God. God is the only one who has the freedom to do as he wishes. And he is the only one that can control the outcome. We don't have any decision over where, whether someone is going to be born again, and if that's true for others, it's also true for ourselves. I have had a, a, a painful time surrendering to this truth over the course of my preaching, preaching ministry. I have preached in all kinds of settings. I've preached in pulpits. I've preached in back rooms. I've preached in city parks. I've preached outside. I've preached in, in, in school auditoriums. I've even preached in the middle of villages in India. And these, these messages I, I poured my heart into and I've dedicated countless hours preparing and praying over, yet no matter how much passion I speak with, no matter how much heart I pour into preparing the message, it doesn't necessarily mean that any spiritual activity is going to happen. Yet in the book of Jonah, the prophet Jonah preaches a seven-word sermon to the Ninevites. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he says. And the entire city of Nineveh repents and turns to God. Jonah didn't even want them to repent. Think about that. He didn't want the Spirit to work. And he even gets angry at God. He says, God, how could you? He knew God was going to do it, and he didn't want him to. But see, the thing about God is that God has free will. God does what he wants when he wants we don't have any control over how the Spirit works. And that's not only true in others, it's true in us. So we don't, get, we don't have free will to choose where we're going to spend eternity. At least not until we're enabled to. I don't understand everything about the way the Spirit works. All I know is, is that everyone who is born again, that they have been given the right to be born again by God. Remember what we read in John 1, 12-13? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if you are saved, it is because God gave you the right to be. Not because you one day suddenly looked up and said, you know what, I'm going to start following Jesus today. You surrendered because the Spirit of God was at work within you. 
which is if this is the first time you're hearing this teaching, you're likely responding the same way that I did when I was first introduced to it, which consequently is the same way Nicodemus responds in verse 9. Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can these things be? Which brings me to my final point. Everything in Scripture preludes to how God works. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Now notice Jesus uses the article the and not a. In other words, that he was the teacher in Israel, not a teacher in Israel. This means Nicodemus was among the chief teachers of Scripture. He was among the ultimate authority on earth on how Scripture should be interpreted. Yet even then he did not see the free will of the Spirit in Scripture. Jesus questions Nicodemus, even you don't understand these things? Jesus asked this question because if the Holy Spirit had enabled Nicodemus to understand it, as I believe he has in me over the course of my preaching ministry, that he would have seen it all throughout Scripture. Now, let me give you a little backstory on how I was able to see this teaching because I don't want you to get the idea that, that, that this is a teaching I enjoyed surrendering to. I hated having to give up my idea that I determined whether I, where I would spend eternity. I wasn't raised believing this. I was raised singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I was raised believing that I had the free will to determine whether or not I was going to come to the Lord. And let me tell you, I even lived under an incredible amount of guilt because I waited so long before coming to God. I was first introduced to this concept by a friend of mine, and, and apparently he didn't want to share it with me. He just felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting him to do so. He, he told me, I don't want to have this conversation with you because I've lost a lot of friends over this. And I assured him, like, you know what, man, this is not going to happen with me. Just, just tell me. Tell me what do you believe. And he told me. And it was hard. And I'd be lying to you if I, if, I, if I told you that I really didn't consider, like, breaking it off in a friendship with this guy because he believes something so different from me. It's offensive. It's offensive to suggest that God never gives some people the chance to surrender to him. And is that true? I don't really know. But I would combat teachings like 2 Peter 3.9, which says God is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And you know, over the years I've struggled with this teaching, I have discovered that not only have I taken verses like 2 Peter 3.9 out of context to hold on to what I treasured most, but that I was denying the sovereignty of God. And so, because I was so highly offended by what my friend told me, I set out to study Scripture for myself, read the whole Bible. Because let's be honest, how could I argue about what the Bible says when I hadn't read all of it? And it wasn't until I completed reading Scripture and, 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 and studied it that God revealed to me the truth that the Spirit does as the Spirit wills. Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty five 25 says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you revealed them to the little children. It was the work of the Spirit that enabled the children to see, which is consequently why Jesus regularly said things like, He who has ears to hear, let him hear, and he who has eyes to see, let him see. It is because the Spirit is the one who helps us to hear and helps us to see. 
Jesus later says in John 6, 65, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has, it has been granted him or enabled. He's been enabled by the Father. Without the work of the Spirit, we are doomed to never hear and never see. So if Nicodemus truly understood that the Old Testament, if he really truly understood the way that everybody else gave him credit for, he would have understood this truth that Jesus was, was explaining to him. Which should go to show that we can study the Bible, we can sit in church, we can even teach Scripture, and we can still not understand how the Holy Spirit works. Free will does exist in Scripture, just not in the way that we want it to. Free will to decide where we spend eternity is only in the hands of a, of a sovereign God. And when we hear teachings like this one, we can either feel comforted or we can feel contempt. And just in case you're, the, you're, the, you're falling on the side of contempt, let me just share with you that I know exactly how you feel. It is just as offensive to you as it is to me. Because it seems to take from us that which we treasure most, our ability to, ability to decide. If you're not born again, it's because that the Holy Spirit has not done that work in you. And that is a tough teaching. It is a hard teaching to accept. And if it's offensive to you, I just want to remind you that these aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. The Spirit comes as He wants, and He goes where He wants. And you can, you can hear the sound of Him, but you, you can't determine where He's going. And so it is with everyone who is born again. Understand that in the realm of truth, it doesn't matter if you like it. Truth is still truth. Furthermore, throughout the Old Testament, we read about God choosing the Israelites over all the other nations. The Israelites didn't choose God. God chose them. And we read about how these other nations were corrupt and how God decided to destroy them. And we read in the Old Testament, it doesn't bother us because that was then and this is now. But consider this. We don't know how the Spirit works. Nor do we have any control over who is saved and when. And if it's true for others, it's true for us. That rests solely in the hands of the sovereign God. And this doesn't relieve us of our responsibility to preach the gospel and reach out to those whom the Spirit is working in. Because as Jesus said, we don't know where he's going. And so we preach everywhere we go hoping that God chooses to use us to reach others. Where the Holy Spirit is working is up to Him. But we are the means by which the Holy Spirit has chosen to work. Now, I wish I had the ability to give you complete and total peace on this teaching if you're feeling contempt instead of comfort. But the truth is, you'll only be able to rest in this truth when the Spirit is the one who gives you peace. I can now rest in knowing that it's not what I say or don't say that enables a person to be born again. It doesn't matter if I preach from a 70-page discourse or from green eggs and ham. If God is speaking to a person, they will get saved. And instead of being offended because I'm being robbed of what I treasure most, I must instead, instead see that God's will is, is His sovereign deliverance of what I should treasure most. Eternal life in Christ. What do you think lordship is if it's not the ability to tell us where to go and when? We surrender over our idea that we can do what we want when we want. 
and go where we want, and instead surrender to his will. You know, I know we Americans, we, 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 we're the ones who vote and have democracy. We don't like the idea of complete surrender because we want our freedom. But consider this. If we lived under the monarchy of a sovereign king who was over all, would it really matter what we wanted? A nation living under a king is there to serve the king and do what the king says despite what we want or what we like. But just so you don't get an incorrect picture of the king, we have a king who is not only our Lord, but he is our friend. And he is our future spouse. And he went a million times further than any other king would have dared go. If you truly believe God is good, then you won't have any problems submitting to him on this issue. It's when we question whether God was really good that we want to surrender to him. And if you need proof that he's all good, God sent his son so that we could live forever. He did what no other king was willing to do. He gave up his life. You might think, well, if God is really good, then why does he allow all this evil in the world? Can an all-loving God really be all-powerful at the same time? And more importantly, what if God doesn't reach out to someone that I love? What if he never gives them the opportunity? What if I'm praying and praying and, and they never turn to him? Honestly, I can't answer these questions for you because I'm not God. Instead of trying to stick up for God by saying, well, it's not his fault evil's in the world. It's not his fault that somebody's not turning to him. I've instead surrendered to a sovereign God whose ways are above my ways. I mean, Scripture commands us that we must trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. So if you're beginning to question whether or not God is good or whether, whether God is, is going to reach out to someone or whether God is working in you, whether or not you're born again, let me just say, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It didn't matter for Nicodemus. It doesn't matter for us. And if you're questioning your salvation or you're questioning these things about God, rejoice and be glad because that is the Holy Spirit working in you. And all that's left is for you to decide how long you're going to resist the all-powerful God, the all-loving God. And while you're considering how long it's going to take, also consider this, God does not make mistakes. If he's calling you, he has great plans for you. He's patient. And his timing is always perfect. To drive all this down, I just want to, this point down, into home. I just want to end with a verse today that I believe sums up everything that I have said today. Everything that I believe Christ is, is, is teaching Nicodemus and teaching us from Scripture. I want to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. And truly, truly, I would encourage you to listen. And everyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Everyone who has eyes to see, let him see. Ephesians 1. 4 through 5 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. Free will exists. It's just God's not ours.
Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.